You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. Very important is the fact that we're in copper and gold. Uh, Those are two great commodities. Uh, They've seen very strong prices very recently. Now, as we're speaking today, gold is is going uh, retracing a bit, but copper is as strong as ever. So it shows you we almost have a natural hedge with these two great commodities. We have a series of mines and, and they can all be considered high grade, whether they're copper or copper or gold or copper and gold. And we're looking to put in a series of, uh, put these mines into production in a sequential manner that makes sense. Uh, we have the assets in place and we also have the infrastructure in place regarding a mill, a tailings facility. And so you would look to put us, uh, we, we'd look to put the sequins into production. And then uh, as upside, we could hit over 100,000 ounces a year of gold equivalent ounces or over 60 million pounds a year of copper equivalent production as we have a few of these mines in operation. In today's episode, you're going to be getting a corporate introduction to a junior mining company that I believe proposes a great investment value proposition. In fact, for the last six weeks, I've been buying in tranches in the open market. I'm speaking of Dore Copper Mining. The ticker symbol in Toronto is DCMC. And on the OTCQB, you can find it under the ticker DRCMF. Joining me today is the president, CEO, and co-founder, Ernie Mast. He's going to be presenting this value proposition to us. So Ernie, welcome on to Mining Stock Education. You're at the helm of Dore Copper Mining. Uh, Perhaps give us a little background of the history of Dore. Dore went public about a year ago. What's the prehistory of Dore and how you brought it to the market about about a year ago? Thanks, Bill, and and glad to be on your, your show. Uh, th- there's actually quite a interesting history of this camp that we're working in, which is called the Lactare Shibugumu Mining Camp. It was an operation for nearly 50 years and closed down at the uh, financial crisis of 2008. Uh, the assets were then held privately, and uh, myself, along with some other experienced mining executives, were able to sign a contract to acquire an option on the assets in 2017. Uh, This is a period of prolonged lower prices of gold and and copper. So as a private company, we did some exploration work and we proved to ourselves that there's tremendous upside in the camp and including the uh, tremendous amount of assets that were already there. So we then consummated uh, the option agreement and acquired the assets and went public in 2019 in December. Okay, so you're in the Shibugamu camp in Quebec. You're developing a hub-and-spoke redevelopment story for high-grade copper and gold. Give us a thumbnail overview and some of the key highlights that investors should initially know. Very important is the fact that we're in copper and gold. Uh, Those are two great commodities. Uh, They've seen very strong prices very recently. Now, as we're speaking today, gold is is going uh, retracing a bit, but copper is as strong as ever. So it shows you we almost have a natural hedge with these two great commodities. We have a series of mines and, and they can all be considered high grade, whether they're copper or copper or gold or copper and gold. And we're looking to put in a series of, 
put these mines into production in a sequential manner that makes sense. Uh, we have the assets in place and we also have the infrastructure in place regarding a mill, a tailings facility. And so you would look to put us, uh, we, we'd look to put the sequence into production. And then uh, as upside, we could hit over 100,000 ounces a year of gold equivalent ounces or over 60 million pounds a year of copper equivalent production as we have a few of these mines in operation. Okay, so for your existing gold and copper resource, you have a historic resource, but also you've done some drilling even before you went public to have an NI43-101 compliant resource. Talk to us about your total resource, both historic and NI43-101, please. So the, the total NI43-101 resource is approximately 4 million tons and the historic resource is approximately 2 million tons. This historic resource actually was SEC compliant in 2007. So it's a very reliable estimate. Uh, so that gives us a total of 6 million tons of resource. Uh, the resource, the average grades would be a little under 3% copper and a little over on average, uh, one and a half to two grams per ton gold. But the components of those resources vary quite a bit between over three and a half percent copper uh, in some cases and over eight grams per ton gold in other cases. So it's a very nice blend of high copper, high gold and, and deposits in between. Okay, so you have a 27 ton per day mill that would be the hub, and then the spokes are going to be four key projects. Before we delve into the specifics of these key projects, are there any fatal flaws or legacy issues that investors should know about these projects? Not really. The, uh, the, the, the operation as was for 50 years, and during that time, uh, they kept the site compliant with all environmental regulations. So for instance, what you see behind me now is actually our tailings facility at Copper Rand. Uh, the water is, is beautifully clear. We sample the water on a weekly basis and um, essentially it's lake quality water. So we really don't have any environmental legacies. Okay, are there any royalties or any other financial encumbrances on the projects? Uh, there is a royalty on the option Joe Man property of 2%, uh, which we optioned in the beginning, we optioned it in the beginning of 2020. Uh, and there's a small royalty uh, net profit interest on the Devlin property. But other than that, there are no royalties on the major properties. Okay, so the hub is this mill, and your market cap as we speak is about 22 million Canadian, yet you have this mill, you have hundreds of millions of dollars of work that's already been done in terms of infrastructure with railways, with all the power that's there. You're, I believe, 14 miles from the town of Shibugamu, which is nothing. You have a workforce right there. So you have all this in place. You have this resource, CapEx, excuse me, market cap is only 22 million Canadian. Let's, let's zero in now on the mill. Talk to us about the mill. What is this capable of and what type of CapEx would you need to get this up and running again? So the mill uh, has a capacity of 2,700 tons a day. Uh, the mill last operated in 2008 and when it closed, uh, the operators emptied out the mills. Uh, they raised the ball mills uh, on jacks so that you'd take the weight off the trunnions or the bearings. Uh, the flotation cells and the thickeners were emptied as well. Uh, and so it's been essentially in that position. Uh, when we come in, we feel we should put in a new control room or a new control system, uh, upgrade some of the uh, electrical components, 
and uh, a little bit of mechanical repairs. Uh, you know, for an estimate, I don't have a hard number. Uh, we've estimated approximately $12 million Canadian to get the mill into operation. Uh, because of the size of the mill compared to the likely size of, uh, of the mines when we start, we probably don't have to commission the entire mill. So a couple of the ball mills won't have to be restarted at that time. And then later, as we add more mines into the plan, uh, we could restart 100% of the mill. Uh, the tailings facility has 8 million tons of capacity uh, left in it. Uh, and so that, that's, that's definitely more than adequate to start up. And we'd probably use tailings for backfill. So that 8, 8 million tons capacity could last a long time. Uh, the mill is, um, is 14 kilometers or 10 mile or eight, nine miles from the town of Shibugamu. So it's a nice 15 minute drive. Uh, the advantage of that is workers get to go home every night. Uh, and we should have a very good relationship with the town of Shibugamu, which the previous mine, when it was in operation, did have. Uh, the infrastructure is in place. The, uh, there's a 25 megawatt power line to the site, uh, in addition to office buildings, uh, warehouse, core shack, the laboratory uh, at the site as well. So it's really a lot of value uh, that's already in place when you consider the market cap of the company, as you, as you pointed out. You haven't done an economic study uh, yet. That's on the horizon for next year. But could you give us maybe a back of the napkin calculation if you were to bring these deposits back in production with the mill operating? Are we talking $100 million to bring this back into production? Yeah, we're talking approximately $100 million to put it into production. Uh, a, a big amount of that amount will be how much underground development that we plan on doing before we start up officially in commercial production. And, and in fact, that underground work will probably be the major component of our, um, of our capital. And so those are the details we have to work out. As you know, in underground mining, uh, there's many different ways of approaching it. Uh, my preference is to make sure that you have uh, a sufficient number of stopes uh, ready in hand as you start commercial production, because once you fall behind, it's, it's quite difficult to catch up. So our point of view is let's start from really a position of strength when we restart these mines, which is why we're doing exploration now and building up the resources. We do have enough resources to, 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 to uh, fast track and restart immediately, especially now with copper prices at about over $3.30. But um, we think the investment community would like to see a, a really solid 10-year mine plan before we get started. And, and therefore, with that will come uh, more drilling now and development as we restart. All right. So the first of the four key projects is Copper Rand, where your mill is. What is the overview of the Copper Rand deposit and what's the advancement planned here? So the Copper Rand deposit was the last mine that was uh, operated in the camp in 2008. And there's 2 million tons of historical resources there. Actually, our plans with Copper Rand is it would probably be the last of the four to enter operation because of potential synergies it has with one of the other mines. Uh, it does have resources at the depth they were mining at when they closed in 2008. However, there's also resources in an upper part of the mine that we would probably access first. Okay. And the Corner Bay deposit is your next deposit? Correct. So the Corner Bay deposit is our biggest deposit with uh, NI43101 of 3 million tons. 
Uh, we have been drilling the deposit earlier this year. Uh, you can find uh, those drill results on our webpage and our various press releases over the year. But those that drilling campaign has been very, very successful. And we're very confident that we'll see a significant increase in the size of Corner Bay. Uh, that mine was built in 2008. Uh, the project was stopped during the financial crisis. And therefore, we can come into this project with a, call it a 90% built mine, two kilometers of development, uh, three levels accessed. And the deposit starts at surface and essentially goes down to 1,000 meters. Uh, we initially plan on ramping and creating um, uh, new levels in the mine in order to get it restarted. So uh, Corner Bay is going to be uh, probably our biggest mine and provide most of the feed to the mill. Uh, it's principally a copper mine. It has a grade of uh, over 3% copper and about 0.28 grams per ton gold. I should mention the copper mineral is extremely clean as will be the concentrate. So we, have, we would have very low levels of impurities in the concentrate. And this makes it a very attractive product for different smelters. Okay, so thank you for that overview of Corner Bay, which is high-grade copper. But I understand that Cedar Bay is a past-producing high-grade gold mine that you're going to begin to redevelop. Correct, Bill. The current resource at Cedar Bay is 8.7 grams per ton gold, 1.9% copper. It operated uh, uh, from, 19, from the 1950s to the 1990 and produced 3.9 million tons uh, of ore and it was mined to the 670 meter level. The uh, current resource sits at about the 1000 meter level, which is the level of the shaft. Uh, the gold grades uh, in the current resource are considerably higher than they were in the past, but even previously at current prices, the gold value would have been greater than the copper value. The drilling that we did on the deposit earlier this year confirmed that three of the major structures in the mine are open at depth. Uh, and these are called the 1020 A and B and the central vein. And do you, what are your goals for your future drill programs at Cedar Bay? What type of resource would you like to see there before you bring it back into production? Uh, because of the high grades at Cedar Bay, really, if we're able to establish uh, a resource of about half a million tons, uh, it should be able to be put into operation. Keep in mind that this is the type of ore body that is best drilled from underground. So one of the things that we're doing very, very shortly is we're going to be taking water samples uh, down the shaft, uh, down the length, down uh, underground, and we will determine the water quality and determine what type of water treatment we would need to do in order to dewater the mine and commence drilling from underground. We think once we're underground, uh, the drilling will be much um, much more effective than drilling from surface. And at that point, we can really delineate the ore body. Uh, if you consider though that the ore body produced 3.9 million tons from surface to 670 meters, the chances of, of us of finding another million tons at depth is pretty reasonable. And what would that translate into, into gold ounces? Uh, the gold ounces, if uh, the ore body would have say a grade of about... Uh, uh, ooh, a grade of about eight grams per ton, you're looking upwards of uh, two, 300,000 ounces of gold in that one deposit. Okay. And all of these deposits drilling year round is capable here? Correct. Although the winters are relatively cold, uh, we do get temperatures in Celsius of approximately minus 20 to minus 30. 
which is about uh, minus um, approximately minus 15, minus 10. You know, th those are hardy northern temperatures, but uh, we can drill all year round. Uh, it's not a problem. Uh, many mining operations in the district uh, operate all year round without a problem. And I understand your cost of drilling is quite low. Yes, we're using a local contractor and, um, and, and they're very efficient. Uh, and therefore, again, we, we don't have this remote camp type of setup where you have to fly people in, house them, feed them, fly them back. Uh, essentially, everything is done for, as a commuter base. And the local contractor has his workshops and his drill machines uh, in the town. So the Dore Copper has no debt, but your Joe Mann property is one that you don't yet own 100% outright. Before we talk about the geology here, uh, what's the financial arrangement with this Joe Mann property? So the Joe Mann property uh, remaining to acquire the property is $3.25 million of Canadian Canadian. Uh, which are due up until January 2nd, 2023, and most of the payments are back-ended. Uh, in addition, we have to do $2.5 million of work on the property. And that payment is in shares, I understand, too. Uh, it, it's a combination of cash shares. Okay. So, uh, Joe Mann, what is the potential here? This also is a, a high-grade potential uh, gold mine, right? Correct. So, Joe Mann actually produced 1.2 million ounces at 8. 26 grams per ton gold over its life. And it closed in 2007. Essentially it closed because the operators at the time were in a low gold price environment and did not do a lot of exploration below the lowest levels. And they had other focuses. They were focused on other commodities at the time. So they closed down this mine. Uh, a couple of drill holes drilled below the lowest working after the mine had closed, identified some very high grade intercepts of about an ounce per ton and we're essentially following up on those intercepts. And again, similar to Cedar Bay, uh, if 1.2 million ounces of gold were produced over the first thousand meters of the mine, over the next few hundred meters of the mine, we should be able to identify a few hundred thousand ounces. In addition, we're doing exploration uh, along strike close to surface uh, in an area which had previously been drilled but uh, we don't think the operators fully understood the geological model of that area. And so we're doing some follow-up there as well. Okay, so would part of your success be in doing a geological reinterpretation of some of these projects? Uh, th that's correct, yeah. Especially on the area, which is uh, along strike at Joe Man. Um, on the main vein at depth, uh, essentially we're following the same structure that the previous operator used. And it's quite, it's quite a simple, model essentially you're, you're you're following a vein uh, which is in a certain uh, certain geology and it's well known well understood and we're essentially we're we're in certain we're we're following up on that to verify it in fact that the two previous historical drill holes whether we can expand the resource around that so Ernie, you've been in the midst of a, a large drill campaign. Uh, my listeners that are just being introduced to the story aren't familiar with that. So could you bring us up to speed on the current drill campaign? When should we expect results? And what are some of the near-term catalysts that we should look for? Okay, yeah, we started the drill campaign actually in, uh, in January and we started drilling the Corner Bay property and the Cedar Bay property. We had very good results from both of those drill campaigns. Uh, currently, we're drilling the Joe Man property, and we should see drill results uh, before the end of the year and early next year on, on that program. 
Uh, in addition, early next year, we'll probably return to Corner Bay and uh, continue the drill program there as there were a couple of areas of the deposit that were still open up plunge in a long strike. And it makes sense that we, uh, we, we finish off the program uh, following up on, on areas that are open like that. And so then what we can look forward to is a update of the resources at the deposits. And then uh, based on that, we would look to do a PA uh, towards the middle of next year with the results coming out in the second half. Because we're talking about a lower capex here and you already have the mill and the infrastructure, could is, is it correct to expect per perhaps an expedited pre-fees and feasibility study? That's correct. Yeah, based on the based on the results of the PA, uh, based on what the market is looking at and the financing that we can uh, obtain, we would look to fast track the pre-feasibility or bankable study in order to get into production. Uh, another tack that we can take is do another round of exploration to grow the resources even more so that we could even put together a more robust uh, bankable study or pre-feasibility study. Best case scenario, if everything lines up, how soon could we be in production? Uh, I would say 2023, 2024, uh, we could be in production. Uh, we, we could really fast track things and be in production for sure, in, uh, maybe even a little earlier. However, uh, you know, we think it's prudent to put together the most robust project possible before uh, committing to production. Okay. Share structure and some of your key investors. I know one of the things that I liked when I initially looked at the presentation is I recognize some key quality shareholders. Could you talk to us a little bit about this? Yeah. So our major shareholders, a group called Ocean Partners, and they're a metals trading firm. And they're actually the firm whom we acquired the assets from. Uh, and, and they're very supportive. They really want to see the, uh, the mines enter production. Uh, the reason, main reason being is their business is the sales of, of copper concentrates and zinc concentrates and, and other metals. Uh, we will be producing a very clean copper, pro, uh, copper product and they have the marketing rights of that. So they're very supportive, uh, a very you know, savvy investor as well as uh, a supportive shareholder. Uh, we have two US-based private equity funds, RCF and Orion, uh, who are also our uh, little less than 10% shareholders. Uh, they first became investors when we launched the company privately and they were seed investors for us. And in addition, we have a couple of funds from the province of Quebec as investors. And going forward, uh, we expect uh, what we call Quebec Inc. to be a significant funder of the project. And again, that just improves the certainty for us to go uh, deeper into this project. And your share structure, I think it's like 31 million shares outstanding right now? That's correct. So we, we've kept the share count quite low. Uh, and really what we're doing now is we're, we're doing quite a big push in order to increase the volume of shares and, and attract more retail uh, investors into the company. Uh, we recently obtained our OTC listing. And so we'd like to see American uh, shareholders as well. Because you do have some of these quality uh, shareholders with access to capital, would it be fair to assume that that could be a source of potential capex since we're only looking at about a hundred million dollars here? Yeah, it's very yeah, it's very very possible, especially uh, given the mix of of major shareholders that we do have. Uh, you know, th that's definitely an advantage we have as we look to finance eventually in the future uh, the return to operation. We we see a lot of support there.
Let's talk treasury and burn rate. What do you have in the bank and how fast are you going through it? So currently we have uh, at this point uh, about two, little over $2 million uh, in treasury. Uh, while we're drilling, the burn rate's about half a million a month, uh, but we do expect to, to, to finish drilling, um, say early next year. So which means we'll probably look to the market uh, for some additional funds not for additional drilling, but in order for corporate purposes and to arrive at the PEA uh, relatively early next year. Okay. And you often raise with flow through, flow through funds. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. Yeah. It, it's, a great, it's a great advantage for uh, Canadian and Quebec-based companies. Uh, the flow through funding is, is readily available. Uh, flow through, though, can only be used for technical advancement of the project. Uh, and drilling uh, and doing studies falls into that category. Okay, so Ernie, as we conclude here, what more would you like to share with my, the investors that are listening to us? Oh, I'd say the investors do their due diligence, but uh, I would say look for copper projects that are high grade and good jurisdictions uh, that have infrastructure in place uh, with experienced management teams. And uh, I don't think you'll fall on too many names. So uh, you know, that, that's one of the main attract, well, those are some of the attractive features our company has. I'm going to put a link to Dore's website in the show notes below so you can check out the presentation. I'll also put a link to the presentation in the show notes on the OTC. It trades on the QB and you can find it under the ticker DRCMF. And in Toronto on the Venture Exchange, you can find it under the ticker DCMC. Ernie, really appreciate this overview. We'll be following up with you throughout 2021. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty dollars or $100,000 and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident and just do your work as best you can. Do your very best, but don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents, but it requires commitment.
This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on MiningStockEducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.